Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. It's episode 186. And today I interviewed Jason Zook of Buy My Future. And Jason is a, a really, really cool guy. He's changed his name a bunch of times and turned it into a business opportunity. And he's, he's, it was a really great conversation. But I'm also very excited because today my guest co-host is none other than Dave Rail. Hey, Dave. What is up, Ari? How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast. Indeed. Yeah, too long. Yeah, well, so I always liked having Dave as a, a guest co-host, but today we have a very special reason for Dave to be on the podcast, which is that Dave and I have collaborated over the past several months, and we just this week launched the Less Doing Wadcast, which is a daily workout podcast from us. So there's two reasons that we did this. First of all, and, and by the way, you should go to lessdoingwatcast.com. You can see each up, each workout and you can subscribe through iTunes. And we did this for two reasons. One, uh, we're both health enthusiasts and the, the workout is basically an eight-minute workout. It's two Tabatas, which if you don't know what that is, it's 20 seconds of hard work and 10 seconds of rest. And you keep going back and forth like that. And we change up the exercises you do each time. So it might be push-ups and then wall sits and then lunges and whatever it might be, but you're going to be able to get fit in eight minutes a day. But the other thing about this, which is so cool, which I'm going to let Dave speak to, is that this is the world's first 100% completely automated podcast. There is absolutely no human interaction involved in the perpetuation of this podcast. We obviously had to do a lot of work to get to that point, but basically Dave is able to flip a switch and we don't have to do anything anymore. And this podcast is going to be created completely automatically. So Dave, why don't you tell people a little bit about the process, about what it looks like and you know, and, and, and how this is really representative of what your software is able to do. So yeah, sure. Uh, there are a list of exercises that we have. And what the software does is that whenever it gets triggered, it goes and creates a new workout from those exercises. So it is selecting from a list of exercises randomly eight exercises and uh, constructing those things into a workout. Now, there's a couple of other pieces of that too because it's also putting some music in there. So while you're doing the exercise, you hear some upbeat, you know, kind of uh, exciting, you know, hard charging, fast music that goes along with that. So it's also randomly selecting from a list of songs and playing those songs in 20-minute increments. So there's there's some, some random selection of what you're going to hear as far as the exercise and the, the music selection as well. So after the selection has taken place, then the construction of the podcast happens. And uh, really, that's just done by appending together a bunch of audio files all together to construct the, the entire workout along with the, uh, the same intro and outro that goes on every episode. Uh, and uh, the, the same uh, image is being used for every episode as well. And so uh, in the end, uh, we wind up with an audio file that you can listen to for your workout 
out and uh, a blog post that has the list of exercises there with links to videos and descriptions of the exercises as well. And uh, it's just a, a pretty cool thing. And it's triggered automatically uh, just via scheduling in, in my software so that it'll just uh, put out one of these things every day. Yeah. So, and again, for people listening, this is awesome in a number of ways, because first of all, you know, not a lot of people necessarily want to have a completely automated podcast, although there are definitely certain kinds of information that this would work well for. But the point of this is that even if you want to automate 90% of your podcast or 50% of your podcast, it's completely possible because we've done it for 100% of the podcast. And it's really, it is providing a completely unique workout every day in a workout format that we really think, both of us really think is, is helpful and makes sense. But there's so much about podcasting that is procedural and just not involved in the actual content creation aspect of it. And so we're, we're trying to really show the power of this. And again, this is custom software that Dave created on the heels of me sort of creating this very cobbled together. It, it worked, but I had all these different Zapier recipes or uh, Zaps and IFTTT recipes to make this happen. And uh, Dave basically created this custom software to do it. So. We really want you guys to check it out. We'd love to hear feedback and ratings and reviews if you if you like it, and hopefully it helps you work out in less time. Uh, but you know that's not the only thing I want to talk about today because I have a bunch of links to share, and I always like talking to you about them. So you ready? Awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, the first one is uh, th this is just a, a cool little time saver, and it's funny because I actually don't have the, one of the newer iPhones. I have you know, one of the, the baby iPhones now because they're all so big, but <laughs> it, it's called key touch. And what it does is it basically allows you to use your, uh, the touch ID on your phone to unlock your computer and websites. Okay. I, maybe, maybe via Bluetooth or something like that. I remember seeing uh, something, some kind of implementation of some kind of Bluetooth unlocker at some point in the past. Yeah. So there was something called Knock before, which I thought was actually really cool. But what this actually, this actually lets you log into specific websites. So like you could pull up PayPal on your computer and then just do a touch ID on your phone and it will log you in securely. Okay, that's that sounds pretty cool. I, I guess uh, it would raise some questions about security and yeah. what's all involved there, and, and making sure certain that the, you know that that the chain is really complete all the way through, and and you know that you have security uh, from end to end. But uh, assuming that that stuff's in place, yeah, that that uh, certainly would would provide a benefit in making things more convenient. Yeah, and it's I mean definitely a time saver. Um, so this next one you might actually like, and this is relevant to what we were talking about with the podcast, but it's called Elf Worker. So basically, uh, you just send an email to elf at elfworker.com with a small programming job in uh, Python, JavaScript, Ruby, or Clojure, and they will get it done in 24 hours. Neat. Neat. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Well, so, and this is interesting, you know, they give like an example, like, um, I have a list of blog feed links in RSS format. Can you somehow get every single post from every single one and give me a CSV with the columns, blah, blah, blah. And they write back and say, okay, I can do it in Python for a hundred dollars and you'll get a finished CSV file. And they say, great. And then they do it in 24 hours. So th this is, this is really cool because someone like you, for example, you know, you, it actually might and, you know, depending on what project you're working on, you could outsource some of the sort of menial programming tasks that you might have to do to somebody else and get it done while you focus on more of the higher level stuff. 
I, I think that makes sense. Th- these would have to be uh, very small things yeah. to, to get them done in 24 hours and well-specified too. I, I imagine that uh, they probably get a lot of requests that are not specific enough for them to be able to, to you know go forward on. And there's probably uh, some need to do back and forth. And I, I think they're probably training uh, some of their users over time. Uh, one thing that comes to mind too is uh, why would you, as, as the end user who wants this programming task done, care about the language, you know, I mean, what, why would you be recommending that, or, or why, you know, when they tell you, "Hey, I'm going to do it in Python," uh, it doesn't seem like that would be something that would be particularly, uh, unless it is a use case of a programmer who's saying, you know, "Hey, I want this thing done, and I, I want to integrate it into my system." Well, you know, actually, that's a very good point because I've had this discussion. Um, like, I, I was looking at, I, I am still looking at creating a less doing app, and there's all the different programming languages. And, and when I, I had a couple of conversations with people, and within like 20 seconds, I'm like, I, I don't really care what language you use, you know. It's it's like whatever, whatever you want, as long as it works, right? So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think when you're talking about an app, then the question of maintainability and can you find somebody else down the road to make an enhancement to it, something like that, right. then that becomes pretty interesting. But for these little uh, one-off kinds of things, uh, it, it seems like there, there would be a lot less reason to care about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, okay, so the next one is there's a service called Taco, uh, t- like t- not like a taco, but Taco, T A L K O, and it's basically uh, team calling essentially. So it's like a it's like an app. It's an app that lets you. Uh, it's not like Skype. I'm not actually even sure how to probably describe it. But the way that is interesting here is that they have a new integration with Slack, and everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much I love Slack, and. what it does is you can basically in Slack now, you can say like call so-and-so or you can actually have it call everybody that's in a channel if you're going to have like a big meeting and it will initiate the call to everybody through this app and uh, you don't have to know their phone numbers or anything and you can really maintain your workflow, which I think is really cool. That does sound really neat. Just uh, uh, finding your source of of who you want to include on a call in something that you're already in anyway. That uh, that sounds pretty appealing. Well, and it's there's so many times when you're you know in the for people who don't know, Slack is divided into channels, and a channel could be a department in your company, or it could be a project that you're working on. And sometimes you just need to talk to everybody that's in that particular channel, and this is a really quick and easy way to do that. Escalate the form of communication, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so the next one is also, it's not just for Slack, but it helps with Slack. It's called uh, getmarker.io. And I, I love this. There's so many services that let you do a screenshot uh, and even annotate it. But this one, it, it does it very nicely, but this one integrates directly with Trello, GitHub, Bitbucket, and Slack, as well as a bunch of others. But basically, so you can do a screenshot of whatever you want and mark it up or whatever and instantly just drop it right into Slack or drop it right into Trello for your project management or to GitHub if it's a programming issue. So it basically, it just takes out a few steps of having to get this stuff done. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now the next one is called Like Bucket, and it's trip planning reimagined. So this is this is really interesting to me because there's a lot of services out there that 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 I feel like in some way or another are trying to tackle the someday plans, you know, and like I, like I'd love to go to Rome someday, but there's no like kind of specifics to that, or I'd like to go see this movie, but or I'd like to see this movie, but someday, like so. This is a trip planning website where you basically create what they call buckets uh, of 
different travel plans. So like, for example, and, and what's cool about this is you can collect it from anywhere on the web. So for example, they give on Facebook, somebody says like they're looking for a new Napa winery to try this weekend. And then like six people give uh, descriptions or, or suggestions and you can grab that whole thing and it will actually create like a map with the Yelp reviews for each of the wineries and restaurants and all. it sort of like builds the trip for you. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. So I, this is actually really, really neat. I thought this was, this was cool. You could collect favorite restaurants or local recommendations or just, or you can collaborate on trip plans. And it's basically makes it so you can kind of get the most out of a trip by grabbing things from around the web. My gut feeling is that this probably becomes something like a to-do list where there's a lot more being pushed into it than, than actually being used off of it. And it just probably uh, becomes kind of a, a big list of things. But I guess if it's searchable and you, you're specifically planning on going somewhere, then you can go back and find all of this stuff. That's right. probably pretty useful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, on that note, there's another service here, a site called Startup Retreats. And this is this is pretty badass. Basically, you can list remote work communities and co-living spaces to have retreats at and not like group retreats like a personal retreat uh and so like they have uh in september you can work in a sunny office in spain for 15 days uh there's one that's for four months in bali you know mm. uh one in the seychelles islands you know so at hacker paradise in tokyo for a month so these are basically co-working not just co-working spaces but co-working communities which seems to be a growing thing where people live and work together to basically come up with these these really great ideas and they did include coboat which is something i talked about on like four or five episodes ago which is a catamaran that's sailing around the world and you can and it's a co-working space basically <laughs> oh wow yeah that's going to extremes that is going to extremes but i, I feel like I don't know. Some of these are really specific. Like if you're working with a team, I mean, yes, if it's a remote team, you could make this work. But I feel like this is for the solopreneur who's sort of trying to figure out their next move, you know? Yeah, it's also probably for the the single person without a family, too. Yes, I I would say so. Anyway, that but it's it's still cool the options that are that are there. Uh, okay, so just a couple more. There's uh, Control App, and this is not like some amazing big deal, but Control App basically allows you to control your Nest thermostat from your Apple Watch. Now that in itself is not like that amazing, but it's actually like a really beautiful app, and I have uh, several Nest thermostats in our house. And the the app is great, but it would be nice to be able to control these things from the watch. So uh, it's cool. That's all. There's not really much to talk about there. It just allows you to do it. Uh, And then the last thing is an article on Mercola, which is about five natural sleep aid tips. And these are not totally, these aren't, and none of these are really shockers at all. And and I'm sure that you'll appreciate these as well. But one of them, which I, I feel like I can't emphasize this enough, and you definitely are someone who I know likes this, but it says the fifth one is getting the temperature right. And it's basically saying that the temperature of your bedroom, the optimal temperature is somewhere between 60 and 68 degrees. And I know that you like your cold. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. But so the, well, go ahead. Yeah, just it, when you have a uh, a partner that's that's sleeping in your in your room, it's often uh, a little difficult to uh, be able to completely dictate what the temperature should be. Uh, especially, you know, when, when I like things a lot colder than the typical, uh, I usually don't uh, don't really get that you know get it going that direction myself. But yeah, colder for for sleep. There, there's a lot of good documentation on why that uh, why that makes sense. 
Yeah, and they even say that, you know, it's really about getting your core temperature down, not so much like your, obviously not your extremities, but if you do find that you have cold feet or something when you do this, then just wear a pair of warm socks, which is kind of, yeah. kind of obvious. But uh, I don't keep my room that cold. I think I usually keep it around 68, which I find is good. I think that when you get down to 60, you actually start to benefit from some serious cold thermogenesis where you really do begin burning fat while you're sleeping. So that's got a whole other side of benefits to it. That's all I've got for today. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this podcast that we've launched and the, the the power of automation that we're showing. So again, everyone, go over to lessdoingwodcast.com. Even if you don't necessarily need to do the workout, check it out, see what we what what's possible, download it, maybe give us a review. <laughs> and uh, Dave, also give us uh, your URL so people can check you out too. Well, I blog at optimizedprogrammer.com and I'm podcasting at developeronfire.com. So those are my my two homes now where, where I'm putting out a lot of stuff. Awesome. So Dave, thanks and everybody enjoy the interview. Thanks, Ari. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. Okay, everybody. This is an uh, interesting interview because the intro is, is non-existent, okay? So we're gonna, you're going to find out. Uh, everything about my current guest through the conversation that we're about to have. He's worked on several different projects. We met each other th or we connected with each other through a mutual friend, Clay A. Bear. And we are now talking to Jason. I'm going to leave it at that for a moment and I'll explain why. But Jason, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Ari. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always interesting to see how the intros go. So this is fun. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you know, you're signed on right now. We're talking to, I'm talking to Jason Zook, right? But that is not who you always were. That is not who I always was. No, I uh, I am a man of five, well, now six, but five different last names before this one, which is kind of crazy. Not many people, I think, can say that. Um, and so that's that's been an interesting kind of road for me that my identity has not come from my last name, you know, where a lot of people have kind of family lineage and they want to carry a name forward. I just had, I had three stepfathers throughout my life. So I had multiple last names and and this whole, all the things I've done on the internet, I think have really been the things that have shaped me as a person and have helped create my identity. So it's only fitting that the internet basically helped pave the way to find my now last name, which is Jason Zook, which I will have for the rest of my life. Well, why? Well, first of all, before we get to the other names and the reasons, but why, 
Why do you say this is the last name? This, well, you know, I think it took the journey of, of doing multiple weird things with my last name, changing my last name, living with names that weren't mine basically for the past two years that were really essentially brands that I discovered the last name that I wanted to keep forever, which is actually my great grandfather's last name who was an entrepreneur who actually won the Nikolai Tesla award in the seventies, which I had no clue. And I don't think I would have stumbled across any of this knowledge because his name passed with him and uh, there wasn't anybody to carry it forward. And then my grandmother, as I started selling my last name, which I'm sure we'll discuss, she said, you know, have you thought about your, your great grandfather's last name? You know, it would probably have some meaning to you because there is some connection. You know, he was an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. And the more that I listened to her tell me stories about him and we were very similar and you could just see a lot of, his genes, I think, got channeled into me. And so I was like, wow, this feels like a really great natural fit and one that I probably wouldn't have discovered or even looked into had I kind of kept going, you know, with just a regular last name. Okay. Well, so, which is great. Actually, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was how you settled on that. But so let's talk about the, the selling of the last name when that started. Yeah. April 2012, my mom called me on Skype. And I don't know how often you talk to your mom on Skype or how many people listening to this talk to their parents on Skype, but it doesn't happen for me very often. And so <laughs> I immediately was like, whoa, red flag. Uh, did also didn't know my mom knew how to use Skype. Uh, so that was funny. But she, uh, yeah, she, you know, she turned on Skype and she was crying. And I was like, man, this, this doesn't feel good. This really sucks. What's going on? And she said, you know, I'm going to be getting a divorce of your stepfather, uh, who's my third father at the time, as I mentioned. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one for uncomfortable silences and kind of emotional moments. And so I just, in a moment of levity was like, well, screw that guy. I'm going to sell my, sell his name, uh, from my last name and, you know, make some money from this terrible experience. And we both kind of laughed because at the time I was doing the I wear your shirt thing and, and I was getting paid to wear a different t-shirt every day. So this just felt kind of like a well, funny no, let's aside. Not, let's not gloss over that because, you know, <laughs> pe people listening might not know about that. So this is, this is true. But yeah, so to finish the buy my last name story really quickly, I essentially put up an auction for my last name. Uh, the, the domain buymylastname.com was available, which, you know, shockingly, um, no one had done this before. And it started at $0. And in the first 24 hours, the bidding got up to $33,000 for my last name. And the idea was that I would change my name legally. I would change it across all my social media accounts, online. Everywhere you would see my name would have Jason and then whatever the brand's name was that bought it. Uh, and so the brand that I ended up with it the first year was headsets.com. <laughs> so I literally had D-O-T-C-O-M in my last name, um, which honestly, it did not provide that much trouble. Like uh, checking in at hotels was probably the hardest thing because they're like, okay, this is your business name. I'm like, no, 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 that's actually my last name. And I'd show them my ID and then I would tell them the story. And so it just took way longer to do some things than others. Um, but it's the only way I've ever made a TSA agent smile is by having the last name headsets.com. Otherwise, they just, they don't want to see your face. Uh, <laughs> but I made them laugh that way. But yeah, so I, I sold it the first year ended at $45,000, which is pretty awesome. Uh, it was on the homepage of USA Today, it was on Fox and Friends. Uh, and they actually saw an increase in sales of a quarter of a million dollars in the first couple months that my last name was sold and, and just went everywhere. I mean, the story was was spread around like crazy. Because who sells their last name? I mean, it's such a ridiculous well, thing. I, actually, I'm actually curious about the changing of the name process. When you went to do that, what was that like? <laughs> uh, scary. I will be honest and say that it was scary. I had, number one, never it, been well, to they, a, can, they can say no, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I had never been to a courthouse 
clubhouse, number one. I mean, my college roommate from years prior was a lawyer. So I called him and I was like, hey, man, like, do you do this? He's like, yeah, I do family law stuff. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. You just got to come out of the courthouse and sit in court for a couple hours and, you know, sit through all the other cases. So I'm like, all right. So I, you know, I go down to the courthouse and I mean, I'm listening to like divorce cases and child custody. And here I am like this jerk who sold his name on the Internet for tens of thousands of dollars. And all these other people are dealing with like real world issues. So number one, I felt like just an ass. But uh, yeah, I got up in front of the judge and, you know, he's asking me questions and I'm standing like in front of a judge like you would picture in like a TV show. Um, and he's like, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And I'm like, no, uh, just super <sighs> nervous. And I had never done anything bad. Like I don't have anything on my record. But at the time I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, have I, you know, like, have I done these things? Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, he was just sitting there scratching his head and, you know, like legal name change to jasonheadsets.com. And he's like, well, this is the first one of these I've done. And he literally had a stamp in his hand, like a big red stamp and like stamped it. Yes. I think it was his signature actually. Um, and, and approved it, but you're totally right. I mean, he could have said, no, I don't think this is a worthwhile thing. And then legally I couldn't have changed it, but you know, I still could have probably changed it online without any repercussions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, so first was headsets.com and then you did it again. Yeah. So I actually, I didn't plan on doing it a second time. This was one of those ideas that I was just like, one time is enough. I just wanted to do it, you know, make some <laughs> cash, have some fun and then just see where things went. But, um, I actually decided to write a book about my entrepreneurial adventures over the previous six years at that time, uh, which included I wear your shirt, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I, I thought about the opportunity of, you know, the name on the front cover of a book is a pretty awesome space. And for someone who doesn't have a name that really matters to them, that seems like a pretty good space for advertising. So maybe do this by my last name thing one more time, you know, have the big selling point be the exposure again, but then also on the cover of every book that I will ever sell, uh, you know, for my book creativity for sales. So yeah, I had this idea for this book and I basically said, Hey, you know, my name's going to be on this book. If you want to have your company name there and a company called surfer S U R F R, um, they're an app. So my last name was Jason surfer app. Uh, they ended up winning the auction at 50,000 bucks. Um, which is actually really interesting because I was doing a New York Times interview um, just about my entrepreneurial story, like right while the auction was going on the second time. And the lady was like, oh, well, tell me what the auction price is. And I opened up my phone and I just was like, you know what? This seems like an interesting opportunity to just and I just tweeted like, hey, sitting with a New York Times reporter and like took a funny photo with her. Um, if anybody wants to bid on my last name, she'd love to see it happen. And there were like 20 bids uh, that drove the price up like tens of thousands of dollars. So I always say that's like my most like lucrative tweet ever um was that one with her but yeah so surfer app one and i was jason surfer app for for 2014 uh, how much was that again that was fifty thousand. so i basically yeah. made ninety five thousand dollars selling my last name over the course of two years yeah and, and how much does it cost to change your name <laughs> <laughs> about 800 bucks so oh, wait really yeah, yeah, it was uh, eight hundred bucks for like the court fees, and then I think it was uh, my my friend, you know, was a friend, so I got to pay like a pretty discounted legal rate. Uh, but yeah, all in, probably about fifteen hundred bucks each year in costs. Oh wow! Okay, I was I was actually kidding. I thought it was gonna be like eighty dollars and like yeah, yeah, you know, no, yeah, it's, it's, the court system. But then I also donated ten percent each year, so I was able to donate like ten thousand bucks in total to organizations that I had worked with over the years and to make a good impact. And that was really fun. I mean, it's, it's nice to drop like a $5,000 check on a company that didn't expect it, doesn't get those types of donations. And so that was actually a fun little aside that I was able to do. Absolutely. Um, okay. So then, then how do, how do we get to, I wear your shirt? So let's time travel. We yeah. will, uh, you and I will hop in the time machine and go back to 2008. Uh, I was a co-owner of a web design company, three person company, 
And I had just basically for a year and a half been sitting on my couch in sweatpants, answering emails and helping build websites for for people. And really, I was just glorified marketing and sales. I mean, that's all I was doing, um, answering email. I mean, I'm trying to think of things that I did besides that, but that was really it. And it was a pretty great, pretty great job. I mean, I had worked at a nine to five for three and a half years prior to that, but built this little web design company. The three of us made it very profitable. Um, I was making more money doing that than I was at my nine to five job where I was actually like head of marketing and design for a sports agency. And, you know, I just, we were here, I was always talking to clients. And so I was hearing from these clients, you know, Jason, what's going on with social media? So this is 2008. This is just after Facebook opened up publicly to the world, not just colleges. Uh, Twitter was just a couple million users. I mean, not many, I mean, that sounds like a lot of people, but in the grand scheme of now they're, you know, 700 million users, it's not a lot. It's very small. Uh, And YouTube was, I think one, that was one year after Lazy Sunday, like the original video that like made YouTube, YouTube. And so they were asking about these platforms and I'm like, I don't know, I'm not on any of these. I don't use any of these. Again, I just like sit in my sweatpants all day and look at email basically. Uh, but I started to look at them and I saw all these people talking on social media. And now we all know this, right? We, we live in this time now where it makes a lot of sense. But seven years ago, uh, it wasn't that place. It was a place of like very few conversations happening. But people were starting to talk about their, their experiences with brands and other things that were going on. And there were no brands on these platforms, right? Because all brands were like, oh, Twitter, what's that? It's stupid. It's 140 characters about people talking about what they're eating. Like it's dumb. Um, but I saw the opportunity of, well, wait, these brands are asking me what's going on. These people are over here already talking about some of these brands or just brands in general. How could I be something in the middle for those? And, you know, I don't know. I'm just a, I'm a crazy guy who's not willing to say no to bad or to weird ideas as we can already tell. Um, and I was in my closet one day, September 24th, actually 2008, looking at my t-shirts and just seeing like, that was the biggest decision of my day every day was what stupid t-shirt I would wear because I worked for myself. (laughs) So it didn't matter. And I just had this row of like 40 shirts that had other brands names on them, you know, like Nike and these other things. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm literally walking around promoting these companies every day. And I've paid for the apparel. This is crazy. Like I could, I could do this with all these other brands that are wanting to be on social media. And that was how the idea of I Rear Shirt was born. I would wear a company's t-shirt. I would promote them on these social media channels, not going in public, not, you know, trying to go to a busy mall with a megaphone, but I would just try and bring some humanism, if that's even a word, uh, to advertising, you know, to, to be a real person talking about these brands and, and telling their story. And that was really where the idea came from, was to just be a storyteller for these brands and, and be interesting and be unique. And I'm a nobody from Jacksonville, Florida at this time. Like no one's ever heard of me. I've never done anything on the internet. I didn't even have social media profiles. So why did I think I could do this? I don't know. I think that's just an interesting thing in my genetics that just is like, sure, I don't care. I'm not afraid of, of people saying I can't do things. Um, and so I built this website, iReassure.com, because we had a design company. Um, I put it up in October of 2008, and 12 people visited on the first day. Uh, it, was, it went gangbusters, my friend. It was just the servers were melting um, <laughs> as my mom checked the page and my grandmother. Uh, and so I quickly realized that, you know, like anything else, especially nowadays, is this even more crowded, but building a website, putting up a social media profile, any of these things, it's like putting up a billboard in the desert, right? Like unless you tell people that it's there, they're never going to find it on their own. There's too much noise. So I just started emailing friends and family and, and telling literally friends and family, like my uncle and people that I worked with previously and friends from college and just individual emails saying, hey, I'm doing this crazy idea. Do you know anybody who might be interested? I'm pricing it in a really interesting way. It was a dollar on the first day, $2 on the second day, $3 on the third day, and it increased a dollar every day just because I figured 
hey, this would be an interesting way to price something. You know, some people that I had met on Twitter as I was building this project were, you know, I was kind of talking to them. Um, I wouldn't even say mentoring. I was just basically like brainstorming with them. And that that kind of pricing had come up in a few conversations. Well, one conversation, and then I started sharing with people. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting because you're a nobody. You know, not to be mean, but no one knows who you are. So paying $7 for you to wear their shirt seems like a pretty good deal. Well, um, you, you know, there's a bunch of, not to interrupt you, but there's a bunch of startups now that like, like bump sale is one where every time someone buys it goes up a dollar so that's mine yeah. so i am oh. i am bump sale no you're yes. not yes absolutely so oh my god i you would think that i would have figured out how to productize this very successful pricing scheme years ago but i just i wasn't in the product mindset which i am now and i finally figured this out so yeah bump sale is myself and i have a co-founder who uh, interestingly <laughs> that's enough ridiculous. Yeah, he built an iteration of this for me twice with Ira Your Shirt. Like he did the programming of the the selling, the incremental buying. Um, and so we finally, like I reached out to him a couple months ago and just said, hey man, what, like why haven't we built a product for this? And he was like, oh, I have no idea. So we're literally, and it's about to launch. I mean, it's actually, I think by the time people hear this interview, it'll be live to the public. Anybody can use it. It's free to use and you can do your own incremental pricing and sales for whatever project you want to do. I, I mean, that's, that's so funny. I, I swear that was not pre-planned, everybody. Uh, so, so, uh, so, so yeah, just uh, kind of smoothing out the Ira shirt story. So, uh, you know, January 1st, 2009, I put on my first ever paid t-shirt. It was for Ustream.tv. I also hosted a live video show for an hour on their platform. And every day I just wore a shirt, told a company's story. And for five years, I was able to do that. And I generated over a million dollars in revenue. Um, the company... I say is successful now. It grabbed its moment in time. It did something awesome. And I think people listening to be like, well, of course, it was a million dollars in revenue. It's definitely successful. When I ended it in May of 2013, I had $100,000 in debt. I mean, I had gotten to a point where I couldn't sustain the business. Social media was so crowded. Um, you know, I had had eight employees the year before because I thought that was what I was supposed to do was scale and get employees and get people wearing t-shirts around the country. And it just got really out of hand. And, and I just, I didn't know what I was doing, completely honestly. Um, and I learned so many lessons through that business and through those uh, failures, mistakes, those bumps in the road that I've now started to apply to everything I've been doing where, you know, now it's like, how can I maximize profits on this? How can I minimize expenses? And, uh, you know, like the <laughs> buy my last names are great examples, you know, spend $1,500 to make 50 grand each time. That's a pretty good business model. So I've tried to really, and that's why products for me are something I'm really getting into because you can build a product like a course or a book or a web app. And if you have the right connections or the right tools, you can do it for fairly cheaply. So yes, that was the I wear your shirt kind of backstory in a nutshell. Yeah, cool. And so, I mean, you're just, it's, it's not, I wouldn't even say like you're such an amazing marketer. I just think that it, it's, you're such a different way of looking at these different problems. It's really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I would get asked a lot on, you know, the interviews and stuff for I wear your shirt, especially, you know, you know, what makes you so unique? And I couldn't answer that. I didn't know what that was. And I think you're right. I think that is my unique thing is I see problems and I try and find really interesting ways to solve them. And a lot of times those don't work very well. And a lot of times they do work well. And I think that some of those problems are associated directly with me. So then I just try and get really crazy and out of the box and do something different, like the selling of my last name. Um, I had 200 sponsors for my book that basically wrote me a $75,000 advance for my book when, you know, publishers aren't paying people like well no and I, and I want you to talk about that one too because that was in my opinion one of the, the more amazing ones but can you can you share that one now 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, so 2013, I, I ended I Wear Your Shirt. This is kind of how the timeline goes. Um, and I was $100,000 in debt, like I said. And I met a friend for um, for a burrito. It wasn't Chipotle, unfortunately, because that would have been even more delicious. But um, just at this little Tex-Mex place in Jacksonville where I was living at the time. And I, I remember standing in line and the bill was like $9. And I'm like, man, if I pay for this, um, <laughs> I literally, I think that was the last my, $9 in my bank account. And I was like, hmm, hey man, like, do you mind paying for this. He's like, oh yeah, sure. And like, little did he know that like, I literally had no money. Like I didn't tell anybody this. And so we were sitting at lunch and I was just super depressed. I had just basically shut Irie's shirt down. And, and he was like, what are you going to do next? You know, what's, what's on the horizon for you? And I was like, I just don't know. Like I'm completely lost. I don't know what I should be doing. I just feel super overwhelmed and stressed out. And he said, why don't you write a book? I was like, I don't know. Like I've heard people say that for me before. And I know I had a really, you know, a lot of interesting stories and lessons I could share. But at that time, I just felt very wounded. You know, it just felt like it wasn't the right time. And he said, I, if anything, I think now is the right time because you'll be willing to share and you'll be willing to be vulnerable and you can let some of these things go through your writing. And then you can decide if you want to include that stuff, but at least get it out and, and talk about it. And so I like to say that by, you know, from the beginning of the burrito, I was just like, no way. And by the end of the burrito, I was like, I'm going to be an author. Like that's literally <laughs> that's how that was decided. Um, so start to finish in the burrito turned me into an author. But I left that lunch. And of course, you know, then I thought, just like you said, you know, how can I solve this problem in an interesting way? And for me, that was how can I make money with a book when a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, first time authors aren't making money with books. You know, it's very hard to get in advance. It's very old world. If people have done dealt with any publisher agent stuff, it can just be a pain. They know, I don't know personally, because I just avoided that completely. Um, but basically what I thought was I have a community that I built over the years. Um, they've supported me through sponsoring my shirt and through buying my last name. Uh, you know, how could I get these people to help support me writing this book financially so that I don't have to come out of pocket the time, the energy, all that stuff. And I said, sponsors are my thing. You know, I've had, I, by that time I also had a sponsored road trip, a sponsored fitness challenge. My dog wore sponsored shirts for a while, which the community actually like had me do. Like it wasn't even my idea. Uh, but I said, you know, a book is a really interesting thing. I've never seen a fully sponsored book and I wanted to do it tastefully. So I basically offered 140 character spots at the bottom of each page. I said the book would be 200 pages and I launched a website called sponsormybook.com. And that's, that's literally how I start every business. I just buy a domain and then put up a website. And it seems to work well for me. But uh, yeah, so 204 sponsors. The And the pricing was kind of reverse of the bump sale model. It was like bump down sale. Uh, it was $600 on the first page and then decreased by $3 each page thereafter till 200 which was $3. Um, so my idea was people obviously read the beginning of books and not a lot of people always finish a book. So those first pages were more valuable. Um, and then I sold the front cover, the back cover, and the two inside flaps. And so it took me about five months. Um, I estimate that I, I literally sent about 5,000 emails. And that's not like me cold pitching 5,000 companies. That was me answering questions. You know, a lot of people ask, what's this book going to be about? Because all I shared was the title and, and then like why I thought people should sponsor it and help me in this journey. And so I had to continuously tell the story of, hey, you're buying like a really intangible sponsorship right now, but I promise it will be a real book. You will have your message on there. Uh, the book will be about my entrepreneurial journey. Journey, and people just had to trust me. And luckily, I found 204 people uh, who 
would do that and made over 75,000 bucks through that, through that process in five months. And so I really wrote myself in advance for, for a book that didn't have a single word written, hadn't sold a single copy. Um, I didn't do any of that stuff. I just got sponsors for it. And then those people became advocates for when the book came out and, you know, they helped push the book, um, you know, out to their networks, to their audiences and people did book buys and it was really cool. And that was just over a year ago, um, that book released. So yeah, that was a, that was a fun part of the journey. Yeah, again, very innovative. I mean, it's just it's just a cool way of doing it. So, so then we get to Teachery, and now, I mean, was there anything in between that and the current project? Yeah. So the past two years have really been the like product mode for me. So the book was obviously one of those, but I, I kept seeing a lot of like my entrepreneur friends doing online courses and then building their own web products, you know, like SaaS apps and things like that. And I didn't really know anything about this space at all, but I just started diving in. I just started watching people's webinars. I started looking at all these sales pages and I had no experience in any of this stuff. I mean, I have no, just no experience with it. I just always did these crazy projects that didn't really take great sales pages because they were so crazy and people would talk about them, but you know, people don't like, (laughs) there's no word of mouth really for online courses. You know, there's not a lot of really sexy online courses that are so unique. People talk about them. Um, but I just was like, okay, how does this work? You know, how do people build these courses, sharing some knowledge that they have solving some problem for people and the value exchanges, you know, selling it and getting money. And so I just started diving in and I started looking at these and, and in the past two years I created five courses um, and in that time, I realized that there wasn't a great course platform out there that I really liked that just felt easy to use, um, was kind of white labeled. So there wasn't some brand on it and it wasn't super expensive. You know, I think a lot of course products out there with exception of Fedora, Fedora is the only one that I can absolutely say, you know, if, if people are looking at an online course platform, I would recommend Teachery first because it's the one that I co-own and have helped create. But I would also recommend Fedora because Encore and his team are awesome and I think they have a great product too. Uh, but yeah, so the course thing I got into, made five of those, have been able to generate great revenue from that. You know, I think it's been over $100,000 in online course sales for me. Um, and it's been great because I'm literally helping people create their own businesses. You know, they're not just giving me money for a product that they, they don't do something with. It solves a problem for them. It teaches them a skill. Um, and then, yeah, building bump sale and building teachery have been my experience in like the SaaS world and getting people to pay for products as a service. And then that helps them build and, and create revenue. Uh, so yeah, it's just been a really interesting two years, you know, building products and I've really enjoyed that, but that kind of leads us, I think, to what we're going to talk about next, that I don't love the sales process of all that stuff, Ari. Like it's, if there's anything I could remove from all the creation stuff that I've done over the past two years, it's the sales cycle, it's the marketing, it's the sales funnels, it's all that crap. I just, I don't love it. It doesn't feel congruent to who I am as a person. I feel like I'm the guy that should just be solving the problems and thinking creatively and doing stuff, not worrying about how can I optimize for another 3% of profit or something like that. Right. Sure. So, so how, okay. So, so now the new project. (laughs) Um, I'm just, I'm leading you here. I'm giving you the breadcrumbs. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the new, I mean, honestly, like I'm kind of mesmerized. Okay, good. All right. Well, hopefully your audience is too. And it's not just me basically telling you my life story. No, no, this is is what I want. So like I just said, I mean, my whole thing is I love creating, I love solving problems. The value exchange makes sense to me when I, when I can teach something or give somebody something that they can use to make money, then they give me money for that. It, It makes sense. But I just don't like reinventing the wheel. And so this next project for me that's live right now as of this this going up is called buymyfuture.com. And it is the next crazy project for me. I think it's the biggest crazy project I've done because it's my future. It's literally the rest of my life what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is selling one-time access uh, for a thousand bucks 
to everything I've created in the past, which I'm saying is the eight products, the five courses, uh, my book, and then access to the two web apps that I have, Tea Tree and Bomb Sale, six guaranteed products over the next two years that I have on my roadmap, um, two courses, one of which is going to be voted on by the people who purchase my future, two books, one of which is going to be basically not co-authored, but like the stories will come from the Buy My Future purchasers, and then two other web apps that one of which will hopefully be voted on by the Buy My Future users as well. So uh, 14 products, it's about $4,500 in value. And then that $1,000 also gets you everything I will ever create going forward. And it's not just free, it's first. So if you're a Buy My Future buyer and the the buying window is only open for two weeks, um, you get in. You get access to everything I would ever create. You never have to pay me again. You never get upsold again. There's going to be a ton of bonus stuff that's not even on the roadmap because I'm just constantly creating. And I'm just so excited for this opportunity to basically say maybe once a year I open up my future for sale. People can opt in. They join this community of other Buy My Future buyers. They kind of learn from each other. And then I can just keep creating. I can just keep building things that help people solve problems, that help them make money, um, and that help them think creatively themselves because that's what I love to write about and and create for these days. So, yeah, man, that's what I'm doing. I'm selling my future. Yeah. So this <laughs> is really interesting because – well, on the one hand, you know, you have to like give yourself a pat on the back that you that you're even able to put this out there that people can invest in your future potential because that that's like heartwarming in a way. That's really amazing. It's not just like it's not impressive. It's uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. I mean, it's like people having that kind of faith in you is really special. Yeah, I think trust is the word, right? Yeah, like, think, honestly, yes, you're yeah, right. I think it really is. And, and I, I look at this in like three silos of people who I think are going to purchase my future, which is such a weird phrase to say, but I, I got to get used to it. Um, but it's the people who have already purchased stuff from me. So I have about 1,600 existing customers who've spent $100 or more with me, which is awesome. So you know, I'm going to them and I'm saying, here's what I'm doing. If you've liked what I've done in the past, I've got some pretty solid trust with you. I think you'll be a great buyer. Um, I have my existing audience on, on my website, Jason Does Stuff, and on my uh, weekly newsletter, which is called The Action Army, where people get weekly value from me. And I have like a 90-10 a rule that I use with my newsletter, which is basically for every 10 emails I send, nine of them don't have a pitch in them. It's just extreme value, me doing something, me learning, me sharing something, no pitch whatsoever. And then the 10th, and it doesn't always work out to like every nine and then 10, but um, I, I'm doing something. I have some project or some product I'm launching that people can then support. Um, so that I have those two audiences. And then the third audience is people like your listeners, right? Like people who are going to find this project from hearing me talk about it or from someone sharing it. Okay. So now we've covered a lot of different things. Uh, <laughs> and we're just almost about out of time here. So the last question I always ask on these interviews is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Yeah, effective is a great word. Um, I think for me, you don't get what you don't ask for. That's number one. So Good. if you're selling something, if you're trying to find something out, you have to be willing to ask for it. Um, I think number two is that feedback is dangerous. So if you have something that you want to do in life, ask people who are your potential customers, ask people who have experience what you're doing. Don't go to friends and family for feedback on your ideas because they have their own fears. They have their own things that they're going to put on you that have nothing to do with your project. And so I think feedback needs to be looked at through a very specific lens. That's and we don't, 
we don't do enough of that. Um, and I think the third thing is, is that to be more effective is to figure out how to be more creative. And for me, that remi- that it's very much apropos to your show is, is removing stuff, is removing time that you spend on technology. It's removing time you consume articles and do all this thing. And it's just time, like space, like outdoors, writing, other things that let your brain compute and crunch the numbers. I like to tell people, take four showers in a day. I mean, it sounds really silly. And if you live in California, don't do that. That's where I live now. We're in a drought. But <laughs> <laughs> the more showers I take, the more creative ideas I have because I can't do anything else. I'm just standing there thinking. My brain is computing. So, yeah, you know, don't get what you don't ask for. Be careful of feedback and just create more space for thinking creatively. Um, and I think those things make people a lot more effective. And they've made me a lot more effective. So that's why I kind of preach them. Yeah, I, I, I think those are great suggestions. Now, you, you again, we're going to have a ton of show notes for this particular episode, more so than usual, with lots of different links. But if there's one link that you'd like people to, to be directed to here at the end, what would that be? I think it's got to go to my future, man. I think it's buymyfuture.com. Uh, that is the biggest and most important thing for me right now and probably will be for the next couple of years. Awesome. Well, Jason Zook, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome talking to you. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate your time. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.